Welcome to Grace by Rain, a podcast about the beauty in life. I'm your host, Elaine Shercliffe. Hello! (laughs) Welcome back. It has been a while. It's been a few months. I actually recorded two episodes last night, and uh, they did not apparently record sound. And there was very clearly a reason why I went to my cousin's baccalaureate today and the Monsignor said something there that kind of just some of the things hit me in a way like just a reminder to me of who I am and what I wanted to do with this podcast and the way that I recorded those two episodes that did not record was more like a diary than um, than showing the true beauty of the things that I experienced. So uh, now instead of having those two episodes go up and then a third one, I'm actually going to combine three episodes in one. It's not going to be a long one. I took a bunch of stuff out that I wanted to tell people, um, but I think that it's going to be better this way. And speaking of the baccalaureate, he he had so many things to say. One of them was, uh, I hope, something along the lines of, I hope you suffer enough to, to learn kindness, to know kindness that life isn't supposed to be perfect and we're just supposed to take it easy all the time and not everything's going to come easy, but within suffering, we are able to learn true compassion and kindness, which to be honest is, is very true. I, I have seen so many people's lives and attitudes change from, from a, tumultuous time in their life and they have learned to look at others with more um, empathy than before um not sympathy but empathy and and another thing he had also said was to uh, the girls at Magnificat was to um the things that they learn today or the things that they learned while at mag's He hopes that they take those lessons out into the world and live them. That is exactly what this podcast is. It's finding the beauty in life, but also there are lessons that we have learned from little things that we've done in life or little things that we've experienced that just kind of, oh, okay, like kind of do that to our, to our brain or our heart. And I want to get back to that. And so I'm glad that Zoom did not record the sound (laughs) on those two podcasts that I spent some time doing. So hopefully this one makes the Zoom cut. (laughs) Um, Now, I haven't been around, right? So I do... I have been so busy and uh, a little overwhelmed, but in a good way, in a good way, there's so much good stuff going on in my life. Um, Towards the end of the season, I got a promotion at work. And so now I'm no longer a contract who has to worry about renewals every two years. I am now a permanent position at this workplace, which means, um, I also have a little bit more work. I already had a lot of work and I got a lot more. (laughs) But because of that, the training is, it's not intense. It's just a lot. It's a lot of knowledge to put in this tiny little brain of mine. And when I come home from sitting at the computer, learning and learning, the, the last thing that I want to do is look at the computer to write. Some of the last articles that I did write were were handwritten um, before I even put them up 
online. So I hand wrote them first, made all the edits and changes I needed to handwritten wise. And then I put, I, I typed them out. I transcribed them into, um, into our writing platform. So uh, as you can tell, my brain was slightly broken <laughs> during during the end of the season. I have not written in about a month, I would say, but I plan on trying to get these end of season articles up about Grand Rapids and about the monsters, as well as some evergreen pieces that I've been trying to work on. But like I said, my brain is just not completely there when it comes to trying to pull this knowledge out of my head because I've been trying to stuff knowledge in there. So patience to myself is what I have to tell myself. Be patient and be kind. Also, I'm like kind of moving. Like I've been, I'm living somewhere else, which is a good thing. It's nice to have my space. I love my parents. I really do. Um, They've been so gracious to let me live there a little bit longer than intended, but uh, I just, it's nice to have this space where I can thrive and spread my wings a little bit and not have to worry about waking anyone up if I wake up in the middle of the night and I want to work on something or if I get home late or if I wake up early and want to work out, I'm not worried about all that. So that's great. Um, Awesome. And I've been working on weddings with my cousin. <laughs> uh, we just, I'm singing at her wedding and we just picked out all the music and, you know, that takes time. It takes time to do stuff like that. And I am so excited. So as you can see, just a lot of good stuff happening all at once. It is a little overwhelming, um, but it's not crushing, right? It's not because it's good stuff, uh, because it's stuff that makes my soul happy. It's not. Um, it's not bad. It's not soul crushing. It doesn't, it doesn't give me as much anxiety. I do have a little bit of anxiety because I haven't been able to do some of my other passions such as writing, but to have all these good things, I'm so thankful for them. But keeping that in mind as well, that life gets crazy. Uh, For season four of this podcast, I will be doing once a month only one episode a month. There might be special episode drops occasionally, but for the sake of my time and the sake of quality of content and the sake of continuity and consistency, it will be once a month. And I promise you those episodes will not suck. Um, I will not give you a product once a month that is just ultimate shit. Okay. I promise you that. But from now until about mid-July, beginning of August, um, they're just kind of be sporadic. I'm going to try to stick to some sort of schedule, but whatever happens, happens. We're going to go with the flow in season three here. (laughs) We're going to do our best because that's really all we can do, right? We can only do what we can do. And sometimes we can push through, but let's not burn ourselves out, baby. Let's not do it. So I don't even know what to call this episode. I will figure it out after. (laughs) But I wanted to talk about some of the beauty I experienced and some of the lessons I learned from uh, my two trips to Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, the Cleveland outdoor game. So let's do this, babies. After three seasons of covering the Grand Rapids Griffins, I finally made my way to Grand Rapids, um, Michigan, not Ohio. For for those of you who don't know why I have to tell people that it is Michigan, not Ohio, (laughs) uh, there was a prospect at the time. I'm assuming that this player will now be playing in the NHL for the length of his career because he is good and he should be up there. And I hope he stays up there. Uh, Jonathan Berggren, he plays for the Detroit Red Wings now, but at the time he had gotten sent down to uh, start 
a season with the Grand Rapids Griffins, the farm team. And this poor, this poor boy, <laughs> he drove all, he drove to Grand Rapids, Ohio, home of the Apple Butter Festival, mind you, uh, instead of Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> He's not from this continent. Okay. He's not from North America. So, you know, we, we can let that slide, <laughs> but it's like a running joke now amongst people who are Grand Rapids and Detroit fans that you're going to Grand Rapids, Michigan, not Ohio. <laughs> um, that kid handled that so well too. He could have been upset or super embarrassed and he was just like, yeah, it happened. <laughs> and that alone is a lesson, right? Just like stuff happens. Sometimes you drive to the wrong place and it's not even in the same state that you're supposed to be. <laughs> but he had an adventure, that's for sure. So I finally made my way to Grand Rapids. And one of the first things I noticed about the city, which I absolutely adored, is the art that is everywhere in the alleys, in parking garages, in parking lots, on the off ramps. And I'm not talking graffiti, right? I am talking like an actual artist went and painted on these walls. And they painted things from things that correlate to the city, um, important women in the city, important women in the world. The one exit I got off at is, I'm guessing, a heavily Latino section of Grand Rapids because it was very, just like the, the vibe was very Latino and Southwestern kind of art. And it was in, in Spanish and there was a beautiful like sunset painted on it. Um, it just... It set me in the right mood when I got off the exit. To be fair, also, um, before I got off the exit, a semi almost drove me off the road. So I was like about to shit my pants from scare from being scared. <laughs> so seeing that to my left when I pulled off was very calming and inviting and welcoming. I love when cities invest in art like that because it, it's so simple. It, it's so beautiful and people can come to your city on a budget, right? They, if they have a budget, they can come in and see things for free instead of having to shell out money left and right to experience the city. So by putting art everywhere around the city, anyone is welcome to come to your city there it's not money is not a prerequisite to visit grand rapids because there are things to see and do that don't cost money you could go on a tour and an adventure to try and find all of this beautiful art that is around town it's a great way to boost tourism for sure and it's a great way for people in the town itself to stay active by, you know, walking around to find these things or just to feel good. You know, like you're on a walk home from work. Say you say you work at Van Andel and you just lost in overtime, six, five, something crazy like that. And you're going to walk home and you're feeling crummy, but you're not just seeing buildings on the way home. You know, you walk past a parking lot and you see a mural and you walk a little further down and you see down an alley and you see another mural and it kind of puts a little bit of a pep in your step, right? Those are the little beautiful things that I love to see when I'm traveling. It just takes the city to another level. It's an added layer of beauty to the things that are well known and that tourists typically know about 
it's it's a little added extra like hidden gem that's like oh this is a surprise this is beautiful i love it uh you can <laughs> you can ask if, if any of you know andrew rinaldi from field pass hockey he also writes about the griffins he had to stop and hold my purse and my food like a million times on the way back to the hotel from from eating after the game um because i would be like wait wait i gotta take this picture wait wait wait, i gotta take a picture of this wait wait i gotta take a picture of that <laughs> uh, so find you friends who are patient enough to hold your purse and your food while you're taking a million pictures of murals and alley art <laughs> one thing i really enjoyed about covering Grand Rapids this season and being in person is the people like Andrew, obviously, um, but like Tyler Kuehl, uh, this guy, Devin, who, who writes about the team from the Hockey Writers. Tyler writes about the team from M Live, uh, And then there's podcasters Nick and Brandon at Hockey Town West Pod. They were all so wonderful to me. Um, sometimes it's hard when you don't get to see people, you don't get to talk to people um, in person, and you don't want to step on anyone's toes that covers the big club, which would be Detroit. And you don't want to step on anyone's toes that um, that are already covering the team, right? And every single one of those people have made me feel comfortable who have extended their hand out to say hello to me, to get to know me, to talk about the team with me. And I will say not everyone does that. And it makes it weird sometimes when like I finally meet people or I'm in the same room and they just, they're doing their job. I get it. I'm not going to question that. Um, but it, it, it's tough when I leave Cleveland because in Cleveland, Jeff Schladell and I have tried very, very hard to craft a family-like atmosphere with the monsters um, since I started in the 2016-17 season. So when I go out to another place and it's not the same way, I'm like, eh. <laughs> And and it was it was nice to have that here in Grand Rapids and um also like Randy and Andrew who the Andrew that works for the team so wonderful and kind and supportive and if you want to cover the Griffins I highly recommend reaching out to one of them because they are supportive like I said and they are kind. And they really just care that you like do your job, right? Like they're as long as you do your job and you're not like a a, a buffoon <laughs> when you're in 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 the presence of everyone, they will give you the absolute respect that you deserve, and maybe sometimes more than you deserve. I don't think I necessarily deserved all the respect and and kindness that I received from both of them. Um, in the past few seasons, but I love it. And it just reminds me that a lesson that I learned from all of these people that I mentioned is that I deserve that respect. I deserve that kindness. I deserve to be in the position that I am. And nobody else should tell me different, including myself. It was a big growth year for me, getting to know all of these Griffins and Detroit people, because they made me realize that when it comes to my passion and my craft, that it's not just me who thinks that I'm good. And that I have to learn to trust others when it comes to my passion and my craft. Because there are a lot of people out there who respect me 
and will promote me and will support me. And while not everyone will, that's okay. These people will. And one by one, little by little, more people will see that I deserve to be put out there. And so I'm very thankful and appreciative for learning that lesson about myself this season. So thank you guys. I really do love all of you. This season as well, um, Joel Esperance taught me that there are many players who are going to be kind and genuine and answer the questions you want without being extra sassy or annoyed that you're just trying to do your job. The Griffins give you a lot of access, even over Zoom. You know, you you could ask for like four players after a game, win or lose, right? And for the longest time, we couldn't interview the monsters after a loss. And I I had no clue how to interview players after a loss. I didn't know how to ask questions without stepping on their toes or making them feel awful. This season, uh, about a few months into the season, we finally were able to interview players after a loss. But when I started covering Grand Rapids and um, Chicago, I kind of flew blind into that. Um, Same thing, like during the pandemic season, I was covering Texas, Iowa, uh, Rockford, the Monsters, Chicago, and Grand Rapids. And I flew blind into my, the first loss I ever experienced where I got to talk to players was the Grand Rapids Griffins. So I was flying blind and I had no clue how to ask questions, right? So over the years, I got comfortable with it um, because you learn, you, people learn a lot from what players and coaches have to say after a loss. And Joel Lesperance, um, I had interviewed him on another team he was with, and he was very genuine with his answers there, which also was a loss. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but when he was Grand Rapids this season, he was so kind with his with his his answers and genuine. He he didn't look at me like I was an idiot for asking him about some some stuff that led to the loss. Um, my favorite in particular is interviewing him about being in the box. You know the the Griffins had a string of games where they lost the game because of stupid penalties that were taken. And fun fact, most of those penalties were taken by someone who either scored the the first goal of the night or like a, a game tying goal. And then that player went and just did something ridiculous, <laughs> causing them to go down a man, sometimes in overtime, and then lose. And typically I wouldn't ask, right, about someone uh, someone about being in the penalty box, but I wasn't sure what to write about the game because I had totally written a piece about how great they played that game because they did. Um, and Joel was the person who made the mistake that caused them to lose the game by being in the box, having this penalty. Um, it really hurt them a lot. And I just, I did it. I was like, I'm not, how many times am I going to be able to ask a guy about what it's like to be in the penalty box? And I asked him a string of questions about what goes through your mind when you're in the penalty box. Do you watch the game? Are you analyzing the game? And and I noticed he was very open to these questions. So then I extended it to um, how do you assimilate from sitting for two minutes and then having to play? Like just do your legs get tired? How do you keep your legs ready? How do you keep your, is your mind ready to go? You know, and it gave me such a good article and a a lot of people learn stuff from it. Not just new, new people to the game, but people who have been hockey fans for years, they, they learn something that 
people don't typically talk about. And that's what it's like sitting in the box. Because <laughs> uh, people don't ask about that. I never asked about it. I felt like maybe I was stepping on some toes. But sometimes you have the opportunity there. You got to take it. And Joel was very kind and genuine and wonderful. And when I saw him in person and interviewed him again um, after a win, he was just as genuine and kind and giving of his time. And so, so are guys like Dominic Shine and Brian Lashoff, even Jared McIsaac. Um, and all of them, but especially Joel, just taught me that when you ask the question the right way, when you have that relationship with a player already when you can read where a player is at before you ask that question it is very important to what kind of answer you're going to get out of them and it's also important to know when to ask that question like you don't want to come in after a loss and go hey what was it like being in the box <laughs> don't do that <laughs> but being able to do that, you you then get the good answers and you are able to retain a healthy media relationship with the people that you're covering. And so I'm so, so thankful for Joel for that, for showing me that kindness and patience because now I'm not afraid when I'm talking to people after a loss, I know that most players understand that this is part of the job is to answer these questions. And as long as you don't come at them like they did something wrong or come at them and blame them or just act like you're buddy buddy with them when you're asking the question, um, they're going to give you something most of the time that obviously there are people who will not because Hockey players are just like other human beings and they're not monolith and everyone's different. But for the most part, you're going to get some gems and it's worth it's worth it's worth the risk to ask those questions. Ben Simon was the head coach of the Griffins. That was hard to say. Ben Simon, uh, hands down, the best coach. I've ever covered. Um, I've had some good coaches too that I have worked with, but he, he was, he's the best as of right now. There's still time for someone to take that spot. <laughs> I plan on being around a long time, but what I enjoyed about him is that he didn't mince words. If you played bad that night, you played bad. There was no circling around it. There was no skating around it. Um, he may have censored himself, but he did not um, He did not keep those feelings to himself. If he was disappointed in the play or if he felt the play was good and the coaching wasn't great, he never, you never could say, I had no clue where I stood with Ben Simon because he was so honest. Um. He also took the time to explain the game. So if I had a question, um, I usually knew the answer to some of these questions that I asked him, but people want to hear it from, from the coach. They want to hear about the importance of face-offs. They want to hear about the importance of keeping your stick on the ground um, and good stick work and not taking silly stick penalties. You know, they don't, they know it, right? And I know it, but... Sometimes people just want and need to hear a player or a coach say it. So I ask him things that seemed very rudimentary and he was gracious with, with his answers and explained them. Um, he was also a really hard worker who, um, who would do just about anything to get what he wanted and needed from life and from the sport of hockey. After coaching his 300th game, 
he talked about how he got his start in Grand Rapids. And he had just gotten let go from the Toronto Marlies and called and told the people in charge of the Griffins at the time that he would do literally anything to stay involved in the sport, even if it meant having to sweep floors and and essentially be a janitor. He loved hockey so much. That was his passion and his joy that to be able, he was willing to do literally anything, something that people scoff at and look down upon just to stay involved in the sport. And he genuinely meant it. He, he wanted to just be involved in the sport. Um, they obviously did not have him do that. He, I think he did some like coach, like, I can't remember if he did like video coaching or just some sort of assistant, assistant type coaching. Um, but he slowly worked his way in to assistant coach and then to head coach. And I keep that in the back of my mind. And there is this thing that he loves to say. He loves to use the word compete, 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 compete. And I know that there are people who do not like (laughs) him saying that all the time um, because it makes it hard to write about when he says the same thing over. Uh, Well, they just needed to compete. And if I'm looking at Ben Simon and knowing how, and knowing what we know about him, I believe him to be the ultimate competitor. I believe that he goes out there and he competes on a nightly basis as a coach. Now, whether or not those parts all link together is one thing. It was not the best few seasons um, from a winning standpoint, but from a development standpoint, he did phenomenal. Um, but unfortunately, they did not renew his contract at the end of the season. So I'm bummed about that. But like I said, I, I keep some of those things that he said in the back of my brain on a daily basis. And it's like, if you want it, you're going to get it. If you want it, you're going to work hard for it. You're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. And when I was in Grand Rapids, I... For the last time for the last game, I woke up and Brad Larson, the Columbus Blue Jackets coach, had been uh, fired and they were doing a press conference and I was allowed to attend. And I was like, an NHL press conference? I wonder if I'll be able to ask a question. And I've sat in on multiple NHL press conferences, never got to ask a question. And when Todd Schrock said, Last question, Elaine Shercliffe. I almost died. I really did. It took all of me to get the question out. I said a lot of ums. Yarmo Kekalein, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry for all of the ums that I said. (laughs) But after that, I had to find a place that had Wi-Fi so I could get this out fast, this article out fast. Um. And I put some feelers out there and bless everyone who gave me ideas. All of those places were full and loud and there was no room. And I was like, ah, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to go to my favorite bakery. It's called Rise Bakery. You should check it out. It is all gluten-free. I love it because I can eat everything there. So I order my food and then I go, you know what? I'm just going to order my food. I'm going to get on the road and I will find some place along the way that has Wi-Fi. Right there. I look down and they have free Wi-Fi. So I noticed that there was a seat open and I sat down, I sat down and I just pounded out my article. Okay. I just pounded it out. I was like, thank you God for granting me this. I, but I was ready. I was ready. I was ready to like knock on some random person's door in Grand Rapids and be like, please, can I use your free Wi-Fi? I need to get this article out. <laughs> and so it 
I I've done things like that in the past, but I haven't I haven't needed to in a while. And I'd kind of forgotten the kind of like hustle you need to do in certain moments to achieve your goals and your dreams. So with Ben Simon saying that after his 300, it stayed in the back of my head and it reignited something that was inside of me from before. And I I definitely started to hustle a little bit harder to make things good, to make writing the things I was writing, make them good again. When I have the capacity to do it, I have to reach for it. I just can't lollygag it, right? And in that moment, I had the capacity and I had the time and I made it happen. And luckily things lined up as well. But if if they hadn't, I would have made it happen. I would have made it happen. And I think people need to remember that their passions and the thing they love just because you put some work into it doesn't mean it's going to be successful, right? You have to make as much magic happen yourself as you can. And then from there, whatever little magic comes your way allows you to to know 100% that you got it because it was meant to be. And that if you didn't get it, there's something better coming because you already tried really hard and you put your best foot forward. And so if you keep doing things, you keep doing things the way you're supposed to, and you keep grinding hard, you keep competing, you're going to reach your goals when you're meant to reach them. So don't stop competing. Kind of like the journey song, don't stop believing, except don't stop competing. Don't stop competing. (laughs) I know you guys love me. (laughs) That wraps up Grand Rapids. There were a lot of more things I wanted to talk about Grand Rapids, but just get to know me as a person and I will tell you all the fun stories I have from there. Next, I want to talk about a few of the things that I found beautiful and that I learned from the Cleveland Monsters outdoor game in March. Let's start with the obvious. You can never depend on Cleveland's weather to do what you need it to do, ever. (laughs) It's March 3rd, right? In Cleveland. Typically, it could be warm, but not like warm, warm, just like warmer. Um, It could be freezing cold. There could be a snowstorm. It could be raining. The Monsters had their outdoor game set for 1 p.m. What the Monsters needed was it to be cloudy, which it typically is in Northeast Ohio, windy, which it typically is along the lakefront in Northeast Ohio, and colder, which, like I said earlier, can kind of be a little bit of a playing like roulette. You're not quite sure which warmth level you're going to get, but usually it's not as warm as it was. (laughs) When I arrived to First Energy State... When I arrived to First Energy Stadium around 10.30, 10, 10.30, uh, it was cold. It was breezy. There were clouds everywhere. It was the most beautiful day to have an outdoor game in Cleveland. I went upstairs. I walked around. And then I went down to the field for warm-ups. And it just got warmer and warmer. The clouds parted. The wind stopped. The sun was the most brilliantly burning, bright sun I have ever seen in Cleveland in the winter months. (laughs) The ice 
It looked very similar to a pool. I watched someone from Wilkes-Barre try to snow the goalie just to kind of get their skates stopping a little test. And they showered the goalie. It was rain. It was like, whoosh. it was almost like being in the splash zone at SeaWorld. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, the game was pushed back to, I think it was like six o'clock uh, when the sun was supposed to go away, which it did, which was great. Um, but I learned you definitely cannot, cannot count on Cleveland weather to do what it's supposed to do. Okay. Poor Kelly Dobek. She is one of the in arena hosts for the monsters, but she's also one of the weather girl, one of the meteorologists. Okay. Poor Kelly Dobek telling people first thing in the morning, it's going to be a perfect day for an outdoor game. And then it wasn't. <laughs> I think that meteorologists in Northeast Ohio, especially Cleveland, deserve a raise, a lot of money, because they could say one thing one minute and then they have to come back and be like, nope, the weather is changing. <laughs> now, the day before the game, outdoor game was practiced, it had to be moved indoor because they weren't sure what the weather was going to be like. It had rained really bad the night before. So obviously thinking Saturday was going to be as warm as it was, was odd. <laughs> but I went to the practice and interviewed what I think like seven players. It was crazy. They were just throwing players at us left and right. And I loved it. I was here for it. It was great. Cleveland Monsters, if you're listening to this, throw players at me all the time. Just throw them at me. Be like, here you go. Here's a player. Ask them questions on the fly. And I'll be like, oh, let's do this. <laughs> uh, one player I wanted to interview and I had requested, and that is defenseman Billy Sweezy. He went to Yale. He studied biomedical engineering. This kid is, I say this kid is wicked smart, right? Um, part is a joke because he's from Massachusetts, but also because this kid is wicked smart. <laughs> and I asked him how he balanced all of it because biomedical engineering is not an easy major. It's very time consuming. And playing a sport is also very time consuming. And he told me that you have to make a time and place for everything you're doing. I'm just going to read you his entire quote. Okay. He said, it's obviously tough at a place like Yale. In that first year, you have to set a foundation, especially not being in school for a year and playing in the USHL. You have to just manage your time. That was something I learned early because it was definitely piling up and it was tough. But just knowing when I have the time, I have to get this done and being able to kind of lock yourself in the library and bear down and kind of do it. So when you're at the rink, you can focus on hockey. And when you're doing schoolwork, you can focus on school. And I continued the conversation and asked him if he felt like this helped him in the pros to be able to have that management skill. And he responded with, absolutely, it's a lot of free time here. You're out of the rink at noon, one o'clock, you're at home. I think learning how to manage your time and focus on what you're doing, not to use a cliche, but being present, being in the moment is really important for being pro. It hit me in that moment when I when I interviewed him, when I heard that, when I heard him say that quote to me, it hit me that there was a way to not be so stressed about all the things I had to do. And that was to enjoy the things 
that I was doing by being present and being in the moment. So many times over the years that I've been writing, I'm watching two games, three games at a time. I'm trying to follow along with another game while I'm covering one game. I'm trying to write about a game and watch another game, a completely different game, or I'm at work trying to think, like trying to follow the news on something else, or I am with my family trying to focus on what's happening in hockey or vice versa with I'm at hockey and I'm trying to have something going on with my family or I'm at work and I'm talking to my family or I'm with my family and I'm thinking about work and and I get stressed because there's not a time and a place for each thing. This was perfect because with that five-hour delay in the past, I would have left the stadium and I would have gone either home to take a nap or my family, have a large extended family in the Cleveland area. I would have gone to their houses, spent some time with them, or I would have left and gone with the people from Columbus who were up that I know, and I would have gone out to drink with them. But this was the time and the place to be present in the moment that was me having five hours of free time in First Energy Stadium. And so I took it, right? I walked around with some of the people from Field Pass Hockey, Andrew Rinaldi being one of them. Uh, he was there with Dina Weinheimer and Zach to um, do a live podcast. Their live, um, their live podcast that they do over at Field Pass. And I walked around with them. And then afterwards, we had great discussion, right, about the sport great uh you know we were talking about giving each other advice about things we were going through in life but mostly hockey talking about different games talking about ways we can make ourselves better also as writers and content creators and and then I explored okay I I explored first energy stadium because I was like when am I gonna have this chance again this is great um so I explored to the best of my ability. I went a lot of places. The The security people were wonderful and were like, well, what are you going to do for the next five hours? Why don't you go here? And I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the football field too, because it's not every day you get to be on the field at first energy. So every day you get to be on an NFL field, right? And then I made a snowman. It was out of the Zamboni ice. Um, so it was really disgusting. I have gotten rid of those gloves, by the way. <laughs> but I made, I made a snowman. I had fun. I took the experience that was given to me and I enjoyed it. I was present. I was in the moment. And I am so thankful that I did because it was one of the best days of my life. It was one of the best days of my life. Jeff Schladell and I stayed even longer after the game to write our articles, to work on stuff. Um, And then when we left, we went back down to the ice and just soaked it all in. Because how many times you get to cover an outdoor game, especially when you're in Ohio, because God forbid the NHL gives Columbus Blue Jackets an outdoor game. So we took, we took what we could from, from the event because we didn't know when we'd see it again. We didn't know when we'd experience it again. And I am so glad that I did. And from there, 
after that, I started to, what people would probably say, compartmentalize. I made time and space for each of the things that I was doing. When I was with my family, the phone was off. I was not checking my emails. I was not, you know, tweeting out about news. I missed a lot of breaking news. I don't care. My thing now, especially now, is it doesn't matter if it's breaking. What matters is if you can add something to the conversation because there's a lot of people who are going to break the news and they're just going to yell into the void and everyone's just going to yell the same thing into this echo chamber. But what sets you apart is what you do with that news. And so I was less stressed being able to just embrace this time with my family. I became better at my job because when I'm at work, I'm at work. And that's that. A lot of the time at work, I have my phone on mute. So really the only people that can get a hold of me are certain members of my family and and Adam in England, because we're on a five hour delay most of the time. So, you know, sometimes work is the only time I can talk to him. (laughs) But it just, it took my life to this next level and I've been less stressed and I was able to enjoy my cousin's wedding in and enjoy my cousin's wedding in Florida. And it was right in the middle. It was right at the end of the season. There was so much going on. You know, the, it was a race for the playoffs in, in the central, the monsters were trying to clinch the wolves decided to go independent, you know, but I was on vacation and I made the time and the place to enjoy my vacation. I've, I've never really just been on a vacation. And this, where I wasn't trying to do work for my, my job or work for my writing job. So make time and space for everything you're doing. Be present in the moment and take what those moments are giving to you. Sometimes those moments are extended, right? Like what happened to me it, it, with the, the monsters, that, that moment was extended by five hours. <laughs> and I just lived in that moment. I didn't try to break that moment up. I lived in that moment. And that was important. So everyone listening, please try to do that over the next few weeks. And I think you will see a change within yourself. You'll feel less anxious, um, less overwhelmed. Now you might not get as much done as you want to, because you're so used to trying to do as much stuff, but in the long run, you're just going to have better experiences and better content and just a better life because you're making time to soak it in you know? So thank you, Billy Sweezy. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me that quote because it has truly helped my life towards the end of the season. Now on to the beautiful things, (laughs) the beautiful things that happened that day. There was two of them. One is my friend, Amanda. I've known her since I was 16. She, and I am 37 now for those who don't know how old I am. So I have known her for 21 years. She is one of the in arena hosts. Amanda always ends up in my life for all the seasons of my life. We met at a diocesan youth conference. I went alone. I was the only person from my church that went, and I didn't know a single soul. And she invited me over to sit at her table where her friends Becky and Victoria were eating. And then we ended, I ended up changing some of the things that I was going to um, 
partake in at the conference so that I could be with Amanda and Becky and Victoria because I I I didn't know anyone. <laughs> Amanda has always welcomed me with open arms. We from there then went to sing at the fest all the time with Julie Brown, <laughs> who was the master of the key change. And then my favorite is we hadn't talked for a little bit. And then I was at American Idol tryouts at First Energy Stadium, mind you, way back in the day. And I went alone. And I'm surprised my parents let me go alone because I was sleeping overnight in the stadium around thousands of people I did not know. But I went alone. And would you believe that five people behind me in line was Amanda and Becky? <laughs> and so I got out of line and I went back. I like, you know how people cut. I was backsies. I back cut it. <laughs> I went back five people so I could be with them. And Amanda and and I have been on the field of First Energy Stadium before, before the outdoor game, because we were trying out for American Idol. We both got denied. Uh, so awful on their part. We should have been the next American Idols, but rude. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, we had the fast again. And then I stopped doing the fast. I and I started writing about the monsters. And there Amanda was again in my life. Being the in arena host of the monsters. And I find it so beautiful that we always find each other when we most need each other in our lives, whether we realize it or not. If Amanda is around when I'm doing something and I did not know that Amanda was going to be there, right? I know that I am in the right place at the right time. I know I am in the right place in my life. Because Amanda has been there for every season of my life for the past 21 years. And you, you will have people like that in your life that they may not be your best friend, uh, but they're definitely not an acquaintance. But they're someone that God always makes sure that is there to remind you that you're in the right place. This is the place where you're supposed to be and you are on the right path. So every time I try and say, oh, is this the right path? I remind myself that Amanda showed up on the path and I am on the right path. Now, the other beautiful thing I experienced is um, I was leaving. I was leaving the field before they announced that the game would be postponed, delayed, delayed for five hours. And I ran into someone. I'm not going to say their name um, because there's not the point. The point is the story. Um, this person and I, I want to say like nine years ago, we kind of, maybe like nine or eight years ago, we had a moment where um, he was not necessarily kind to me. And over the years, I just let it go. I forgave and then I moved on. And I tried not to think about it. 
and I saw him and I decided I'm going to say hi, because we did, we did communicate before in the past. Like we had, we had, um, I don't want to say a relationship because we didn't know each other that well, but like we had conversed and it's silly of me to walk past someone that I know and not say hi. So I said hi, and we had a lovely conversation, and he apologized. And I wasn't expecting this. He apologized for what had transpired between us. And I told him, I was like, no, it's okay. That was nine years ago. That was a while ago. Like, we've grown. And he was like, no, you don't have to say that. Like, it was... He felt bad. And I was like, no, I am serious. Like, it is okay. I am beyond it. I have forgiven you. I did not need you to ask for my forgiveness to forgive you. And he was just like, I think about it a lot. And I started to cry because that's a long time to carry that weight that you may have hurt someone. Um, And I gave him a hug to reassure him that it was okay. We make these mistakes and we were young and I'm young and we're all dumb sometimes, right? And sometimes we go through things and we're not always the kindest. I'm not. I know that. I can be a B-I-T-C-H. Like, (laughs) there's no way around that. Um, But... It was so beautiful, but a little heartbreaking to me that he held on to that um, for so long. And I wish that I had come back in contact with him sooner because by the time I had started covering the monsters, I had already forgiven him and moved on from that hurt and that pain. And it was probably like only four years or three years after it happened. And I, I wish that he had known that it was okay. And so I, I think it's important for people to understand that, um, you don't have to wait for someone to ask for forgiveness to forgive them. You know, don't wait because it might never come. In this case, it did, but it might not come. It could be 10 years later. It could be 20 years. It could be literally never. And you you can't waste your time holding on to that, um, and the other thing is, is you have to forgive yourself, right? For the, for your past transgressions, nobody's perfect. Um, we all make mistakes. We all do things that we are ashamed of and do not align with who we are as a person. And forgiveness starts with yourself. So look at yourself and just start forgiving yourself for your past transgressions. And if you feel like you need to reach out to someone and ask them for forgiveness, just remember that they may not be ready. But saying you're sorry goes a long way, especially if you're genuinely need it. But don't wait. Don't wait nine years. To, and beat yourself up occasionally about the past mistakes that you've made. You know, just forgive yourself and forgive others and forgive often. I said it on a past podcast, the prayer cast about forgiveness and anger. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to keep them in your life. You can forgive someone and just move along, move on down the road. You don't always have to take them with you. If you want to, you can take them with you. I mean, 
the next time I see this person, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, like I plan on actively reaching out to them this summer just to check in on them, just to see how their life is doing. Because I valued that talk and that semi-relationship that we had back then. And I still value it now. But that's not the case with every person that's ever hurt me or harmed me before. Sometimes you just have to cut your losses, forgive them, get right with yourself, heal yourself, and move on from them. So that was a very beautiful situation to me. It broke my heart a little bit because um, I never, ever want anyone, anyone to carry a burden like that involving me I want people to always come to talk to me or know that I'm probably have already forgiven you um I I don't want people to beat themselves up and carry a burden for a long time over something that they've done to me, especially something that is so minor. It it wasn't in the grand scheme of things that have happened in my life. It was such a minor thing to me. And when I look, when I look back on it. And so I, I never want anyone to just carry a burden like that. So if you're listening to this, and you are carrying a burden for someone else, not me, but anyone else, I want you to try and offer that burden up. And I want you to try and get beyond it because it is, it's no way to live your life. And I say this all out of love for you guys. I hope all of you enjoyed um enjoyed this podcast i hope you learned something from it i know it was kind of old news on some of the things because they happened at the end of february and then march and the middle of april and now we are in may but that's okay life lessons and beautiful things don't have an um an expiration date so i hope you enjoy this i will see you again next time And remember, guys, be kind and love always. My theme music is One Light by Nick Wilkinson and the Featured Players. You can find their latest album, Live, Volume 1, on Bandcamp and Spotify. Live, Volume 1 was recorded in front of a live audience on May 26, 2017 at Jilly's Music Room in Akron, Ohio.